Hola boss, you fussy gobnets. Welcome to the Blind By Podcast. If you're a brand new listener, maybe go and listen to some earlier podcasts. And if you're a regular listener, if you're a ten foot ender, you know the crack. I don't have a hot take this week. Um, usually when I don't have a hot take, it's because I do have a hot take. But it's not ready to come out of the oven yet. A hot take is an essay essentially. It's a one hour monologue essay that has to have a a solid argument and a solid conclusion. And if I get a little hot take, if one arrives into my brain, I want to make sure I do it justice. So what I'm going to do this week instead is unleash a series of mini hot takes. I have lots of little hot takes that can't merit a full podcast that I like to get out sometimes. I'm going to explore a few of them. Before I get into that, um, I want to reflect on the past week in Ireland. It's been a very emotional and sad week in Ireland. Um, just a little heads up actually. For the next few minutes I'm going to be speaking about violence towards women. Just in case that's something you're not ready to hear or don't want to listen to. Um, I'll speak about it as responsibly and thoughtfully as I can. So sadly this week in Ireland a young woman by the name of Ashling Murphy, she was a school teacher, was out jogging by the canal in Tullamore and she was murdered. And in Ireland there's been what can only be called a, a collective grief, a collective moment of grief in the country with quite a lot of vigils and people expressing grief. If you're from Ireland obviously you know this because this is all anyone's been talking about. A lot of my listeners aren't from Ireland, so might not be aware. It's also brought into public conversation again. The issue of women's safety. If you listen to this podcast a lot, you know I've spoken about my privilege while out while out jogging. I've spoken about this a couple of times on this podcast. That as a man, when I'm out, I, I run frequently. And when I'm, out, when I'm out running, I never really have to think about my safety, my physical safety. Every so often I might worry about maybe my phone will get robbed and what a terrible inconvenience that would be. But that's the extent of it. I'm not thinking about my physical safety. And sadly, this isn't the case for women. Women have to consistently at all times worry about being approached, being harassed, being attacked are being killed and this was really evident this week I mean not only with the public discussion that was going on because of the murder of Ashley Murphy but the knock on effects on women's behaviour that I saw with my own eyes this week which again really made me reflect on the privilege of not having to worry about this stuff like I was in the gym a few times this week and there was twice as many women there as there usually is because the the horror of what happened up in Tullamore I guess made a lot of women just go I, I, I'm, I never feel safe when I'm out running but I certainly don't feel safe this week so I'm just going to go to the gym instead I'm going to change and restrict my behaviour something that I as a man don't have to do another thing I noticed this week now why am I saying this stuff I'm saying this stuff for men, for the men who are listening, so that 
you might relate to my observations and this can result in behavioural change or greater awareness and compassion. So another thing I noticed this week, which this one just really got me in the chest. This one really uh, knocked the wind out of me. So my regular running route, I run on a, on a very popular running route in Limerick by the river, where I've been doing it for years, and I do it a couple of times a week. So I'm very familiar with this route. I'm very familiar with the amount of people that would be there at certain times of day, certain types of people that would be there. And one thing I noticed on this route this week that broke my fucking heart, the amount of women of about... 1920 who were out walking with their dads and it really stopped me in my tracks because it's not something I see a lot of you don't generally see a young woman out walking with her dad but I saw a a few of them and I suppose it got me because okay there's the obvious element of the dads out walking with the daughter to keep them safe there's that but that's not what it was. It was the horror of Ashley Murphy's murder has caused every parent in the country to hold their daughters a little bit closer this week. And that's what I saw when I saw all those dads and daughters out walking. It was two people appreciating the time that they have with each other on this earth and appreciating the love that they have for each other. And this was instigated this week because of terror and then I, I I had to do self-reflection around that observation and why that observation was the one that got me in the chest because effectively it was easier for me to empathise with the, the fear of a father a man than it was for me to empathise with the fear that the daughter feels when simply being out walking by yourself or jogging because like I said when I'm out running and I'm out jogging I, I'm not thinking about my personal safety and I don't really have to put it this way if I said to myself I'm not going to go for a jog this evening because I'm scared of being attacked that would be grounds for me to start using CBT on myself that would be evidence that my anxiety is returning because it would be an irrational fear the threat of me coming under any harm while I'm out jogging is so small that to change my behaviour to accommodate that fear would be an anxiety response that I need to tackle. Whereas it's a, it's a realistic and reasonable threat assessment for a woman to be wary of going out for a run. So I, I don't have any hot takes around this. I don't want to have any hot takes around it um, because it wouldn't be respectful. The... The media this week, unfortunately, there's been quite a lot of irresponsible media around Ashlyn Murphy's death and there's been quite a lot of voyeurism in the media that's been really fucking disappointing. And I'd just like to express my condolences to Ashlyn Murphy's family and her friends and while I can to use my platform here to speak to the men who are listening because... Men tend not to listen to women. We tend to listen to other men. Which is number one thing to try and flag with yourself. That's something I've had to flag with myself over the years. Listen to women. 
when women talk about their experiences and their fears of the threat of violence out in public, actually listen to women and believe their experiences. And if hearing me talking about it is making you go have a little eureka moment, then there's a beautiful starting point. It shouldn't be. I'm just translating shit that women have said. I'm translating it into men. When women are expressing their uh, fears, don't butt in and say, not all men. Not all men. Not all men means shut the fuck up. That's what that means. When a man says, not all men, what he's actually saying is, shut the fuck up. I haven't listened to anything you've said and I've chosen to hear your fears as a personal attack on me. Uh, please be quiet. So, if, if you're the type of person who says, not all men, just get it out of your vocabulary. There's zero compassion, zero empathy in that statement. And from the point of view of a, of a woman who's been conscious of her safety... It kind of has to be all men because how do you tell which which one is is going to hurt you and which one isn't? And if you're a conscientious man who legitimately wants to try and help and create an, env- an environment that feels just a little bit safer, then there's a few little tips that you can do. And again, these tips come from women. I'm just translating it into men. I would have mentioned these tips back in March around the murder of Sarah Everard over in England. But, so here's the thing. As a man, if you're out walking, if you're out running, you're out in public, you're utterly harmless. You're thinking about whatever the fuck is going on in your day. You're listening to music, whatever. But we're certainly not thinking about our personal safety because we don't have to. So because of that, we can have a kind of a lack of self-awareness about our presence So if you're out and you see a woman, keep your distance. If I'm jogging, right, and and it's a long path and there's a woman ahead of me, I flag up myself and I say to myself, there's a woman walking ahead now and me running might make her nervous. So I'm going to make sure that there's appropriate distance and that I'm not like running up the back of her. And my head could be up my arse. I could be listening to a song, listening to a podcast and I'm running at the back of a woman, oblivious while she's nervous and uncomfortable, with good reason. So bring that into into your awareness. Keep your distance. Making a bit of noise can be good as well. Jingling keys. I don't mean using your voice. Don't be like shouting at a woman saying, hey, I'm behind you, don't worry. Not that. But like jingling keys, maybe... If you're walking, if, if, if you're walking down a street and it's you and it's a woman in front of you, maybe use that opportunity to take out your phone and ring your friend. Because the sound of you being on, on, your fo- on a phone to your friend is just, it's less threatening. If you're out walking and we say there's a woman coming towards you and it's just ye on the street or if it's late at night, cross the road. When you cross the road, with good distance, that's like, it alleviates any need for anxiety and it's almost a signal to say that you're aware of the nervousness of the situation and you just cross the road. Also, offer to walk your female friends home. Offer it. If they have to walk to a bus stop, anything like that, just ask, would you like me to walk you to your bus stop? Is that okay? 
And then, this one seems obvious, but I don't think it is to a lot of lads, because you see it too much. If you're out at night and there's a woman on her own, it's after the pub or whatever, and you decide, I'm going to go over now and talk to her. Maybe don't. Because in your mind, you could be thinking, sure, fuck it, this is harmless. I'm going over having a chat. But from her point of view, she doesn't know, are you harmful or not? So your best intentions, even if you're being sound, you're walking over to a situation whereby there's anxiety on that other person's part for good reason. So don't do that, especially if the woman is a stranger. Move on with your night. Get a kebab. Listen to women's experiences and bring into your self-awareness that 50% of the population are dealing with a fear that you're not dealing with and bring that into your awareness and have empathy around it and then allow that to inform and change your behaviour. And that message there was for the lads who want to improve, the ones that I think I can reach. And of course, if you see lads out in public harassing women, acting the absolute bollocks, intervene and place yourself physically between the woman and that man so I hope that was looking some way helpful and I don't want to sound like I'm on a judgmental high horse here I grew up with the same system of toxic masculinity I grew up not having to think about any of this stuff I grew up saying misogynistic things as a way to be as a way to be accepted by lads as a way to hide my insecurities or feelings of inadequacy I've been complicit in the system of misogyny especially uh, growing up in an all boys school from primary school all the way up to fucking secondary school. I'm saying this shit because men listen to other men and I have a platform and men listen to this podcast I'm not looking for pats on the back I'm not looking for pats on the back and being a good boy who respects women. That's not what I fucking want. Men listen to other men. So if you're a man listening to me and some of this made sense Stop listening to me and now start listening to women. So I'm going to answer a couple of questions because I keep getting asked questions and I've picked some questions that are related to kind of miniature hot takes that I have that I can't do full podcasts on. So one question I got was from Julie who says, Blind by I'm in my 30s and I grew up with no internet and no mobile phones and I'm starting to forget what it was like I kind of remember it as being less stressful. Can you talk about it? So yeah, this is something I think about frequently. So if you're a geriatric millennial like myself, I'm going to take you on a journey of nostalgia. And if you're if you're younger, if you're like fucking in your early 20s and you grew up with nothing but the internet, then gather around the fire and get ready to listen to an old man tell you about the before times. Like, I'm I'm in my 30s, so I'm... Like, the internet has fucking changed everything. The internet is a, is a industrial revolution-sized change in human history. And I'm at the exact age where I grew up with the internet, but I remember when the internet wasn't a thing and when mobile phones wasn't, weren't a thing. So I remember those two completely separate ways of living. And I often find myself weighing up the pros and cons. One thing we definitely lost as soon as the internet came along, which I think is a bad thing, is what I'd call cultural scarcity. 
So I remember being a kid. Like it's fucking mad when I think back. And I don't know how the fuck we did it. But like when I was a child. If a song came on the TV or the radio. It could be the best song I've ever heard in my life. If I didn't get the name of that song. Which I probably wouldn't have back then. Because not every radio presenter said that song was this. Or if it was on television. It was in the middle of a film. That was it. The song was gone. And this would happen all the time. Like I remember being. I must have been eight years of age. And. I was walking down the road. And this car pulled up at stoplights. And it was a load of lads inside. And they were listening to techno music really loud. And they must have been waiting at the stoplights for probably I'd say a minute because it was enough time for me to listen to the tune that they were playing. And in my little head I was just going, that's the coolest music I've ever heard. That's the catchiest song I've ever heard. So I waited there for a minute and then the car drove off and that was it. Eight year old me heard the best song he'd ever heard and that was it, it was gone. There's no internet, there's nothing. So I couldn't get it out of my fucking head. Then the thing is as well is that you've heard it once. So the song could could end up warping into something different in your own memory. So I had to muster up the courage as a child to go into a record shop in Limerick called uh, Empire Music. And I used to walk up to the counter. To the lads behind the counter and I'd have to say to them. I heard this song coming out of a car. It goes like this. And I'd start humming a techno tune. And they were like, no, I don't know what that is. No, no, no. Can you do it again? And then, of course, while I'm doing it again, what they're actually doing is bringing everyone else who works in the shop over so they can laugh at the child who's trying to do a techno song with his voice. And I used to keep doing it, keep doing it until I eventually gave up. And then about three years ago, I came across the song on YouTube in my fucking thirties. I'd I'd forgotten about it. The song was called Tears Don't Lie by Mark O. Terrible song. Very forgettable kind of bubblegum Euro dance. Worse than Scooter. But like the idea that as a as a I existed at a time that you could hear a song and it could be the best song you've ever heard, and then it's gone. Or, same thing with a film. Like, I didn't grow up with a VHS player. um, And my dad, for some reason, I don't know how he got this into his head, but my dad used to rent televisions. He'd never buy a TV because someone in a pub in the 70s told him that cathode rays explode. So my dad used to rent the, the worst TVs. Like, no teletext. Nothing. And the TVs used to used to break frequently. So the person who rented the TV used to come out and fix it. But the man who fixed it, right, he looked a bit like a gibbon. Like, you know those monkeys with the long arms? This TV repairman had these long gibbon-like arms that he'd used to fix the back of the TV. And my older brothers then used to refer to him as the trained monkey. So whenever the fucking TV would break, my brothers would say, Bring the trained monkey. Ring up the trained monkey to come and fix the TV. But I was a child. So I used to think literally that a monkey was going to come and fix the TV. And then 
when the man came to fix the fucking TV, I started bawling crying because he wasn't an actual trained monkey. And then he ended up finding out that my brothers think he looks like a, a gibbon. And he got offended and didn't fix the TV and walked out of the house with his big long gibbon arms. We always had shit TVs was the point and no v, uh, VCR. So as I got a bit older when I was like fucking I think 11. I'd be sitting watching TV. And if a fucking film came on. Like this is the mad thing. If a film came on before the internet. If you didn't catch the bit at the start where they told you the name of the film, you don't know what it is. And there's no way to find out. And often you'd arrive halfway through the film and it's fucking brilliant, it's amazing. But you don't know what it's called. And again, I remember this happened with me. I was about 10, I suppose. And it was late night. And this film came on. And I just thought it was fucking amazing. I just thought it was brilliant. Reese Witherspoon was in it. I didn't know who Reese Witherspoon was. I didn't know who any of the actors were. It was just this really weird film that was basically the story of Little Red Riding Hood, except it was set in, like, California in the 90s. And as a child, I just thought this was the best thing I'd ever seen. Not a fucking clue what the film was. I had to go into school the next day and say, did anyone stay up last night and see that film that was on at 12 o'clock? Did anyone see it at all? And no one saw it. There was no one able to say, I saw that thing too. So it just had to be lost in the ether. This piece of art that I thought was amazing was just gone forever. And I ended up finding it about five years ago by accident. The film was called Freeway with Reese Witherspoon. It was one of her first films. I think she was only about 16 in it. And it wasn't that good. You know, looking back, it wasn't that good at all. But to me, when I was fucking 10 or whatever age I was, it was amazing. It was fucking incredible. But the thing is, is that, yes, that's frustrating that I saw this incredible film and I had no internet. I had no teletext. I mean, if I really wanted to, I probably could have gone to the shop the next day and and looked for an RTE guide to see what was on TV the night before. But you just didn't think like that. You didn't think like that at all. That's internet thinking. You asked other people. And then if you didn't get an answer. You just had to accept it. I saw an amazing piece of art. And I might never ever see it again. And I have to hold it dearly in my memory. As this incredible thing I once saw. And I have to describe it to people when I see it. And I don't know what it's called. And the cultural scarcity of that. Culture. Things you consume. Music, TV, these things became really, really scarce and you had to hold them in your mind like real precious jewels and worship them. And it made you appreciate art more, I think, when art was a passing experience that could just disappear into thin air at any time. Another mad thing that you used to do back then, because art could suddenly disappear, and this is a little hot take I have about writing, So back in the days before the internet, before DVDs, if a movie came on television, right? So it's on TV. You can't pause it. You can't rewind it. You can't fast forward. You're at the mercy of television. So a movie comes on TV and you walk into your living room 
and your family are watching this movie. But you have to be extra cautious how you interrupt because no one can pause. So you have to walk into the room really quietly. And if you decide to join your family in watching whatever movie is on the TV, you're allowed two questions and you have to get them out of the way in 30 seconds. And this is how it used to work. A character comes on the TV and you ask, is he a goodie or a baddie? And then they say, he's a goodie. Then another character comes on and you say, is he a goodie or a baddie? And then they say, he's a baddie. That's it, boom. Now you're watching the film. And the only you, the only piece of information you have is Bruce Willis is a goodie, Alan Rickman is a baddie, that's it. And I think that I think films were written with that in mind, and it made the plots of films quite simplistic, quite binary. The force of good and evil battling each other, which is a theme you see in movies from the seventies and the eighties. And then it changes a bit when VHS comes in. Because pause and VHS was a bit of a cunt. But when the DVD came in, which was something that was really, really easy to pause, that changed the game altogether. Because the thing is, if you walk into the room and someone's watching Breaking Bad, you can't just say, is he a goodie or a baddie? You have to pause and have a conversation about morality. You have to say, well, Walter White there, he's actually a, a drug dealer. Also, he's a baddie. Well, no, because he's he's dealing drugs so he can pay for his cancer treatment. Also, he's a goodie. He's kind of a goodie and a baddie at the same time. We're not sure. That conversation can only happen when there's a decent pause button. Similarly, the wire. That fella, is he a goodie or a baddie? And then you pause it and you go, but there aren't really any goodies or baddies. And some people say that the main character is actually the city of Baltimore itself. So I think the ability to pause things and to rewind allowed for greater moral complexity in TV writing as opposed to when it's just on TV and everyone's a goodie or a baddie. Another thing that cultural scarcity before the internet did if you liked a band because you had so little information about them they truly became otherworldly gods in your head. Like I was obsessed with The Prodigy I used to fucking listen to The Prodigy every fucking day when I was a kid. But I had them on tape. And I didn't know what The Prodigy looked like. So here's this fucking band that I'm obsessed about. I don't even know what they fucking look like. Because on the CD, if you opened up the CD, there was a photograph of The Prodigy. But on the tape, when you open it up, there was no photo of them. And the idea that my favourite band... Like, I didn't know what they looked like. I had no information about them. I knew fucking nothing. I just had the music and whatever was available in the inside of a, the paper that comes with a tape. And if you wanted to find something out, you had to hope that when you, if you went to a shop and there was magazines, you had to hope that maybe there was something about the prodigy in the magazine. But there never was. So I went years just knowing nothing about my favourite band. But the scarcity and the rarity of that made me appreciate the art much more intensely. Like now, you can't do that anymore now. Because you'll find some artist, you fucking adore them, you love them. And then you find their Twitter and they turn out to be a bit of a fucking idiot. And it's ruined. Back then, rock stars truly were like 
not real. They were gods. They were mythical creatures. Like some of my earliest experiences of hip-hop music. I was a child, didn't have a lot of money, so a huge amount of rap music that I first heard. I had a buddy, and he used to just get me tapes out of his brother's bedroom. I'd give him like five pounds, and he'd run into his brother's bedroom and grab three or four tapes from his drawer because his brother had stopped listening to rap and started listening to rave music. So he used to just grab random rap tapes for me. But like, they were all taped over and stuff, so I'd just have this blank tape, and I'd be listening to Public Enemy for a year. And I'd love it, and I wouldn't even know what it was. I didn't know the name of the band. This this tape that I love listening to, this album, I don't know the name of the album, I don't know the name of the band. There was a poverty of information that truly asked you to engage with your imagination and it made art more valuable. And we've definitely lost that. And even as I got a little bit older in my teens and I used to save up money, if I wanted to buy a CD, it was 20 fucking quid. So you were only buying maybe three CDs a year. So if you bought an album you fucking listened to it until you loved it because you couldn't waste 20 quid on a shit album. Nowadays, one one thing I really dislike nowadays, if I come across a new artist now, even someone who's like a a complete fucking legend whose music I haven't really gotten into, like someone like Bruce Springsteen, I'm not hugely familiar with Bruce Springsteen, but I can just go onto Spotify now and flick through every single one of Bruce Springsteen's albums really quickly. And it's stopping me getting into Bruce Springsteen. Like I should have to live with one album and listen to it until I understand every single bit of it. Because it cost me 20 quid. But you can't do that now. You just flick through everything on Spotify and it loses all its value. It's no longer scarce. And maybe I'm looking back with rose-tinted glasses because... So I'm pining for a time when we had less information. And I'm, th- I'm saying to myself, it was, I remember that as being better. But we definitely pined for the internet before it existed. And I'll tell you why. There was this cartoon I grew up with called Inspector Gadget. And on Inspector Gadget, Inspector Gadget was like this weird robot man. And he had a helper who was a little girl. Can't remember her name. Was it Lucy? I don't know her name. She was a small blonde girl. And she, this was before the internet now, she basically had an iPhone or an iPad before iPads existed. So this girl in Inspector Gadget, her special power was that she had this book that had an antenna on it and she could open up the book and there was a video in it and she could ask this book any question in the world. She could ask the book about cheetahs And then it'll play her videos of cheetahs. And we as kids used to look at Inspector Gadget. And we used to think to ourselves. Wow. Imagine having a magical book like that. And you ask it anything. And it shows you videos about anything in the whole world. So that's just a fucking iPad. But when we were kids. That was science fiction. It was impossible. And we used to pine for that. We used to imagine. Oh my God, if only we had the book of infinite wisdom that shows you videos of cheetahs when you ask for it. Here's another thing I often wonder about. You know, was it better before the internet? So this observation isn't before the internet. But this is definitely 
before smartphones, we'll say. Because again, I'm in the weird position of I grew up with no internet. Then when I became a teenager, there was some internet. And then when I got into being an adult, that's when we started getting broadband. So I remember going on holidays before I had an iPhone. And back then, I'm not even back then, I'm talking fucking 2010. In 2010, if I went to like London or New York, I don't know where the fuck I am. I don't know my way around. So if I was in New York in 2010 and I wanted to get around the place, I had to literally use a map, ask for directions and be completely aware of my surroundings at all times. And it was stressful. But I was fully present with the experience of being in New York. I'm looking at buildings, I'm looking for signs. I'm memorising, oh there's that church there so if I get lost... I know that when I walk back, I'll be going, taking a left at that church. So I'm experiencing New York in this really immersive way, using all of my senses, my sights, my smells, the whole shebang. And then the iPhone comes along and I've got Google Maps. So now, from about 2012 onwards, when I was going to London, when I was going to New York, Italy, wherever, now... I'm just using Google Maps. So when I want to go somewhere, I'm just staring at my phone. And I'm not looking at the buildings. I'm not looking at the road. I'm not memorizing landmarks. I'm not asking people for directions. I'm not immersing myself in the environment of my holiday at all. Therefore, I'm not being in any way mindful. And my holiday just becomes the screen of my phone where I'm following the arrow to get to where I need to get. And I think that's a bad thing. Google Maps is good if you really need to get somewhere quickly. But when it was like holidays were better without Google Maps, you were fully immersed, experiencing, relaxing in a different city and taking everything in. Google Maps ruined all that, just following an arrow. It's very similar to video games. There's certain video games like Grand Theft Auto V where they've put all this effort into this digital recreation of Los Angeles. But you end up just playing the little mini-map. They have a mini-map in the corner that looks like Google Maps. And when you play Grand Theft Auto V, you're just using that mini-map, which actually looks like a video game from the 1970s, like fucking Pong or something. So you're not now enjoying the environment of the video game because you're just using this mini-map. Google Maps has done that to holidays. Another mad thing we kind of take for granted and don't think about I don't know whether this is good or bad but before smartphones everyone's watches were kind of out of sync with each other like if you agreed to meet someone at 3 o'clock and you're relying on your watch or even your shitty Nokia phone you had to set your own time to the television So everyone was a few minutes out of sync. Now, if it's three o'clock on my phone, it's three o'clock on your phone. We're all perfectly synced. That wasn't the case. You could have some people five minutes out, some people three minutes out. Nobody was in sync with each other. But also you had to really be on time. If you agreed to meet someone before mobile phones, because I remember before mobile phones when when I was a child, and just before... I got my first mobile phone when I was about 
12. That's when everyone started getting them, 12 or 13. But when I was like 10, I would have been allowed to walk into town. And if I was meeting someone at 3 o'clock, you literally had to be on fucking time. And it's and you had to agree to meet at the same fucking place. And there was no middle ground. You couldn't text someone and say, I'm going to be a little bit late. One thing that's definitely a negative of the internet and technology is it's nice to not be contactable all the time. And I feel a sadness for the I feel a sadness for the loss of that feeling. I I can't believe that I spent a huge portion of my life with that much privacy. Even back in the days of mobile phones, when you used to have to buy credit, if your friend texted you, it would be perfectly acceptable. It would actually be normal to wait a day to text them back because that text cost 16p. So when I was texting people in like the early 2000s, texting my mates, like we weren't texting like you are now where you have a full on conversation. If you had a conversation in 2002 via text, like an average WhatsApp conversation, it could actually cost you 30 quid, and that's that's no word of a lie. So you had to ration out your texts. And an extreme texting was like maybe six texts in one night, which would cost a euro. So it was perfectly acceptable to get a text message and just leave it a day. And that was grand. And if someone expected a text back immediately, that person was mad. I saw someone online recently suggest that the one thing that they missed from the pre-digital days were if you like if you if you had a relationship and you broke up and you literally never ever wanted to hear from that person again, if you literally wanted to just move on and that person disappears from your life back then you could actually do it if you needed to cut someone off it could actually be done and then as soon as Facebook came along email came along that's not the case anymore you still have to have that lingering sense of one day this person could find me on Facebook they could get my email back then you could actually cut someone off and move on forever if that's what you wanted to do another thing that was quite healthy from what said the middle era when we had a little bit of internet when Bebo first stood so the first proper social media network well there was MySpace but in Ireland the first proper social media network was Bebo the one that everyone joined up and Bebo was the same same shtick as fucking Instagram, the same shtick as... It's social media. You're posting about yourself. You add your friends, blah, blah, blah. But... When you had Bebo back in 2006, you checked it like three times a day. That was it. You had to go to a computer, an actual computer, and turn it on and check it. And people didn't post as much. It wasn't non-stop, continual refreshing. And I remember around 2006 an urban myth going around the internet and the myth was 
Did you hear they're going to make Bebo uh, notifications available on your phone? And it was like this terrifying idea. Like we laughed about it but we're also terrified. Thinking, what? Bebo on your phone? So you mean like you pick up your phone and you can find out when someone writes on your wall? Jesus, that would be hell. That would be your life ruined. So we had an awareness back then that social media was toxic. But we knew at least if you're checking Bebo like twice a day that you can compartmentalise it and then have this private life where your mind isn't colonised. And we knew that the idea and concept of being able to check Bebo on your phone would be highly toxically addictive. And it was, so, it was such an absurd idea that it was a joke, it was a meme. And then of course it happens. Then of course it happens with smartphones. I remember another similar meme around the same time. This would have been a bit later, 2008, when people started joining Facebook. Like a conspiracy theory going around in 2008 that was like, Facebook is run by the CIA and it's actually a way to gather everyone's data. And we all went, ha 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 ha, how absurd, how ridiculous. And then it turns out to be fucking true with that Mark Snowden shit. So it's time now for a little pause for an advert. I don't have the ocarina. So what I have this week, again, is the plasma lighter. Now I did this last week and quite a lot of people said they enjoyed the sound of the plasma lighter. So this is a, the coolest lighter that I ever bought. Which is an electric lighter that instead of a flame there's like laser plasma. So let's have the laser plasma lighter pause. There's a, there's a sentence now if I said it to me in the fucking 90s. I'd be like what the fuck. That's pure futuristic. That's exactly what I thought I'd be doing in 2022. Playing with a plasma lighter. Here's the plasma lighter pause. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Very pleasant noise. I I think it's actually causing electrical interference as well. Like I think it, that's not just the sound of the, the lighter. When I enact the plasma, which it looks like lightning. It's, it's like a lighter that has controlled lightning. And you light your cigarette with lightning. And I think when I do that it creates electrical interference. Which gives us that pleasant static noise. 
Yeah. So imagine lighting. That's right. I'm, I'm never going to smoke a cigarette again. But if I did have cigarettes, I'd be lighting them with, with lightning. I should get sponsored by plasma lighters. He's a shell for big plasma. So that was the plasma pause. You would have heard an advertisement there. I don't know what for. Support for this podcast uh, comes from the Patreon page. Patreon.com forward slash the blind by podcast. This podcast is my full time job. This is how I earn a living. This podcast wouldn't be possible if it wasn't my full time job. It pays all my bills. It gives me a sense of certainty. Most importantly, it gives me the time, space and freedom to work on this podcast and not just this podcast, but all my other artistic endeavours. So thank you to everyone who is a patron. And if you're listening to the podcast frequently, if you get some enjoyment out of it, if I'm providing you with any entertainment, please consider becoming a patron. I'm just looking for the price of a pint or a cup of coffee once a month. That's it. For that, you get four podcasts a month. If you can't afford that, if you're out of work, you don't have the money, don't worry about it. Because the person who can afford it is paying for you to listen for free. So everybody gets a podcast. I get to earn a living. It's a wonderful model that's based on kindness and soundness. And it keeps the podcast listener funded. And it means I'm not beholden to any advertiser. And I get to create the content that I want to create and put out the podcast that I want to put out without some advertiser telling me, Hey, don't talk about that, buddy. So thank you to my patrons and uh, please support all independent podcasts. Support independent podcasts that you enjoy because they need support. I've got a couple of gigs to plug. Now here's the bollocks about plugging these fucking gigs, right? So I've got, I technically have three gigs in like February. But currently we've got these shitty fucking government restrictions which mean that in order to run a gig, it has to be half capacity. So the government has forced a bunch of people to cancel gigs. So I'm now in the position where I'm contractually obligated to advertise these gigs in February. But I can't even tell you whether they're going to happen in February or not because of the government. So as you can imagine, this has destroyed fucking ticket sales for all artists in Ireland at the moment. Because how do I... How do I fucking plug gigs and I can't tell you whether they're going to go ahead or not in the dates that I'm plugging them for. But we're going to do it anyway because I'm contractually obligated. So on February the 5th, I'm in Killarney in the INEC Theatre. Hopefully that gig goes ahead. Buy tickets for it anyway because if it doesn't go ahead then it'll get moved forward to a different date. So none of these are going to get cancelled. I just can't guarantee that they're going to happen in February because of government restrictions. So, INEC Killarney, 5th of February. Uh, Wednesday the 16th, Ulster Hall, Belfast. That is definitely happening because it's up in Belfast and different restrictions. Then, Mayo, I'm in Castle Bar on the 25th of February. Come along to that. And then in March and April, I have a lot of Vicar Street gigs in Dublin. Check, they're definitely happening on those dates. Check them out. Uh, three blind boy podcast dates in Vicar Street go on to Google and then I have three dates in Cork Opera House and two St. Luke's most of them are sold out but you never know there's my contractually obligated plugging back to the geriatric millennial content so how was the world different before the internet I'll tell you one mad thing 
Do you know the way, like, if you think back to the fucking 90s, there used to be all these different subcultures, like skaters and rockers and goths and punks, and then we had jocks. Like, these things still exist now. But when I was a child, these things were really, really important. Teenagers had really strong subcultural identities. Like, really, really strong. You had your gots, you had your punks, you had your skateboarders. They dressed a certain way. And this is straight up how things were delineated. And the thing was is that this is what you had to do. When you're a teenager, you're searching for your sense of self. You're searching for your sense of identity. So you then have to broadcast your identity to other people. And when you don't know who you are, when you're trying to find out who you are, as a teenager, an easy way to communicate your sense of self is through the music you listen to, the clothes that you wear, and the group that you identify with. So teenagers in the fucking 90s and early 2000s had to write their favourite fucking bands on their school bags or walk around the place wearing their favourite band on a t-shirt or dressing like the sport that you play or dressing like the music that you listen to. And... Like, there was no, there's no social media. So if you listened to Slipknot in 2001, we'll say, and you wanted to find someone else in Limerick who liked Slipknot, you had to go into the middle of town wearing a Slipknot hoodie. And then everyone who listened to Slipknot would like literally hang around one place. And in Limerick, for some reason, that was the door outside Brown Thomas. Don't know why that was. But if you listen to a certain music, you had to wear that band's t-shirt and hang around a certain area and then hope to meet like-minded people by physically broadcasting yourself in public. That stuff really changed and diminished as soon as social media came around. Like, you don't really see gangs of teenagers anymore not like you did in the fucking 90s and the early 2000s you didn't see groups of teenagers hanging about and moving around because now you have social media back then you literally had to physically get out there and be around a group of people and have a collective identity your skaters your punks your gots whatever the fuck but as soon as myspace came about Bebo came about and then Facebook you no longer needed to wear a Slipknot hoodie because you could curate your identity now as a digital avatar and as soon as social media came out it's when I started to notice the decline in like gangs of teenagers just hanging around the place like in 2001 You'd look outside the door of Brown Thomas in Limerick or in Dublin it's the Central Bank. In Cork it was a place called Paul Street. And in 2001, I'm not joking you, you could see 150 people wearing slipknot and corn hoodies. No word of a lie, 150 teenagers. Like the entire street mobbed. And then you'd walk down the corner and you'd see not as many skateboarders, but you'd see a bunch of skateboarders before there was a skate park. 
and there was just a very identifiable areas where certain subcultures gathered and now you'd still see you never see more than three goths or three metlers together anymore now so if I'm in town now and I see you still see teenagers who are emo or goth or something like that but it's only just three of them and they're never standing anywhere they're never waiting around anymore they're going somewhere so the internet got rid of that social media got rid of that because now you can construct your identity and your sense of self-esteem when you're a teenager online. And I think that's a bad thing. Social media creates a sense of isolation and mental health issues and anxiety. Hanging around in a group of 30 people who listen to the same music as you doesn't. Now I'm not saying it's perfect. You're always going to get little bits of bullying and peer pressure and all the stuff that goes along with it. But not like fucking social media. Because with social media... You can construct your identity and it's hugely unrealistic. And you're competing with other people. And their identities are unrealistic. And it can never be lived up to because it's social media. Whereas there was still that bit of competition back before it. Like with the goths outside Brown Thomas. Everyone would meet on a Saturday. And you might get someone would try and dye their hair fucking blue. And they were the talk of the circle for the day. Like I wasn't a goth or a metler but I used to hang around there because it was where I'd meet people who cared about music. That was really important to me. It's like, holy fuck, I'm going to hang around with a lot of teenagers from all different schools around Limerick and I'm guaranteed to meet people who, like Led Zeppelin or Bowie or Deftones. But I ended up getting quite competitive around how many wallet chains I could wear and it had gotten to the point where I was going up to the pet shop not even buying wallet chains anymore. They were just like dog chains and I was hanging them off my pants. And me and another fella had like a, a wallet chain competition to see who could wear the most amount of wallet chains. And I won. But it culminated in my pants falling around my ankles in the middle of O'Connell Street in Limerick. And everyone laughed at me and pointed. Which was the 2001 equivalent to getting cancelled on social media. But yeah. Marauding gangs of teenagers in different subcultures just out in vast numbers having crack in real life and sharing common interests in music and dress that's something that's gone because of the internet and that was a really healthy fun thing what else memory So back before the internet, you had to actually fucking remember things. You had to hold about five different phone numbers in your head, which for me was fucking impossible because I'm very poor with numbers. But now you don't have to remember shit anymore. And a new thing has started happening to me, which I really want to stop. And this is recent. So now, so a huge part of my job, whether it be this podcast or writing or anything, I have to continually stimulate my brain with new information. And a lot of that will come from... I just see an article on the internet. Could be about whatever the fuck. And I'll read that article. And then the process of reading that article will feed my unconscious mind. And then an idea might come into my head. And then I write something. Or I come up with a hot take or whatever. But I've stopped. If I come across a page on the internet now... I save it onto a website called Pocket. 
So now I've stopped reading articles and instead I see an article that looks interesting and I go, I'm going to save that and read it later. But I never read it later. So now I've started saving articles because I know I can read them later rather than reading them on the spot like I used to have to do five years ago. So that's a bad thing. I also never have to remember anything because I immediately just shout into my phone and put it into my reminders. So I have no need anymore for short-term memory. I get to I get to compartmentalise my brain and put it into my phone. And I don't know is that a good or a bad thing. Another thing, you can't build your personality around being someone who has interest in facts anymore. That used to be a huge thing. If you were someone who did a lot of reading and had interest in facts about stuff, that gave you cultural capital in the real world. It meant that you were an interesting person and people would come to you and... Like, you could literally be the person that other people come to to find things out. Like, that was a person. That was a type of person. Every friends group had the one person who was a total nerd with an encyclopedic knowledge of everything. And they acted as they were the internet for each friend group. So, if you wanted to know something and you couldn't go and look it up because there was no internet, you, you just knew a person. You just knew a person and you rang them up and chances are they might know the thing that you're looking for. And that was really valuable. That was really valuable cultural capital if you were to build your identity around being that person. And it wasn't being a nerd because a nerd can have lots of information about something but it can be quite useless. It's more of like an obsession. I'm talking about someone who was basically the internet, the internet of a friends group. That person's gone now. They've disappeared. That person is, is, is obsolete. Because now you have Google. And ha- having information or interest in facts. Or knowing about something. Or being the person who knew about fucking music. Like this is where the 2010s hipster came from. Like hipsters were teenagers who fetishized music to the point that they knew fucking everything so they were the ones who knew the coolest bands and they were the ones you'd go to to find out who's this band who should I listen to that's gone now you've got Spotify for that so there's no longer any cultural capital in having rare pieces of information so an entire personality is gone disappeared dead in the ether which is both a good and a bad thing it's a bad thing for the people who are ethical with that information People who are genuinely passionate about knowing an awful amount about cinema or knowing an awful amount about music who were welcoming to other people and wanted to share it. Like, these people were highly sought after. There used to be a fella in Limerick called Albert who worked in HMV who knew fucking everything about music. Everything. And people all over Limerick knew him. You go into HMV and if you have a, a, a specific niche taste in music... If, if you like this band and you want to find out another band that sound like them and they might be a tiny band from Portland, Oregon, you go to HMV, you ask for Albert and he would be able to pull out this catalogue and recommend music to you. Because there was no fucking internet. There had to be a person who was a living embodiment of Spotify and they got gainful employment. And that's the positive side of that that's gone, that the internet destroyed. The negative side is there were other people 
who had encyclopedic knowledge of music or of films or of whatever and they would instead use those powers for evil they'd use it to gatekeep that information they'd use that information to make people feel less than to bully them so I'm kind of glad that the internet has replaced those people now here's the other thing a lot of this stuff I'm talking about like the early 2000s or the late 90s and you might be thinking but the internet did exist the internet was a thing it was but it was different and we hadn't gotten our brains around it like Google wasn't smart Google didn't exist until 2003 or something search engines weren't smart so so the internet was a weird place where people would recommend websites in real life you, you couldn't type into Google a question and it would give you an answer like that type of smart search engine shit where it collates everybody else's searches to, to have a form of artificial intelligence that didn't start becoming apparent till about 2009 so before that search engines were dumb and the results weren't very detailed so a search engine didn't really work and our brains hadn't developed a symbiotic relationship with, with the internet yet I'll give you an example and this is going to sound fucking mad but I remember it was probably 1995 The Simpsons The Simpsons had uh, Who Shot Mr. Burns right so there was an, a season finale of The Simpsons where Mr. Burns was shot right and no one knew who did it and that was the whole thing. It was a cliffhanger. It could have been anyone. And we all had to guess who shot Mr. Burns. And it was massive. Everyone was talking about it. Everyone was guessing. And you had to wait until the new season to find out. And this was like 94, 95, maybe 96. So anyway, it had gotten to the point in Ireland where like Paddy Power and people like that were taking bets on who shot Mr. Burns and then and I remember this because it was on the radio at the time and it caused a lot of controversy and I think it was the first time in Ireland I heard people speaking about the internet so these two lads in Ireland went to Paddy Power and put a bet on and said that it was Maggie Simpson who shot Mr. Burns and they won but when they were asked how did you know it was Maggie Simpson the lad said because the episode aired a day before in America and we just checked it out on the internet so we got the answer on the internet and then we won the bet and Paddy Power had to pay them and I remember being a child and listening to the radio it might have even been Joe Duffy or something and hearing people talking about the internet for the first time and the crazy mad idea that these two lads went and asked a computer a question and got the answer about something that was happening over in America like that's the other thing there was a real sense of distance like before the internet people used to go over to America and get a sense of culture shock they'd walk around New York and they'd see new trends and clothes and and, and fashions or you might go to New York and you could buy a CD or an album that simply didn't exist in Ireland 
Like we have homogenized culture now. If you go onto TikTok and you look at a teenager from like Mayo, so a teenager from rural Mayo in Ireland is going to look the exact same as a teenager from Los Angeles who's also on TikTok. They're going to be wearing the exact same clothes, have the exact same hairstyle. There's no culture shock. There's no everything's homogenized because everything is sped up and quick. Like even on a smaller scale, you hear Dublin people using the word culties. Like, first of all, I'm not having that because Dublin's not a real city compared to like fucking Toronto or New York and London. Dublin's just Galway on a boner. Dublin's not a real city. It's, you're all boggers as well. But anyway, when I hear a Dublin person saying like culty, that doesn't make sense anymore. Before the internet, you literally, you had Dublin people who had access to better music, better clothes, better style. So Dublin people genuinely were a little bit more cosmopolitan. And then you went down the country and people didn't have access to cool clothes or the same type of music. So you literally had a cultural divide between like Dublin and Kerry. Or you'd have Dublin and Limerick and Limerick might be a year behind. That existed back then. That's gone now. That's gone. You'll have kids in Mulhuddert dressed the exact same as the ones up in Dublin. Listening to the exact same music. Talking about the same shit. So there's no more rural and urban cultural divide whatsoever in Ireland. So one last point. Classic fucking blind by podcast question answering podcast. I, I've, I'm still answering the first question. And I'm fucking 64 minutes in. And I'm still answering the first question. But uh, I'm going to make one last point about life before the internet. Analog life, we'll say. And life after. And one thing that I definitely think is a negative. Where social media is right now. So. Bebo, MySpace. Early Facebook. Definitely toxic. Definitely toxic. But you could walk away from it. You could walk away from it. It wasn't continual bombardment. But what's happened now with social media, and this is, I'd say, almost a new thing in the history of humanity. So if you actively have a social media account and it's a part of your life, which is the case for most of us. So you have an Instagram, you have a Twitter, you have a TikTok, whatever. For most people, it's it's an important part of our lives, especially over the fucking pandemic. It's how most of us communicated with other people. But one of the issues with having a social media account, especially now, because it's updates so continually and it's, it's social media is now very addictive. In order to have a social media account, you have to construct a separate identity for yourself. We all have our real selves who we are in real life, and then your social media ideal self-constructed identity. Now, already that's unhealthy. Because if you've listened to any of my podcasts about the psychology of Carl Rogers, you'll know that one of the recipes for having poor mental health is if you have your real self, which is who you actually are, and then you have your ideal self, which is 
and then you have your ideal self which is how you'd like to be seen by other people but the thing with your ideal self is that it's always out of reach so Carl Rogers says that if you live your life too much in your ideal self the part of you that's how you'd like others to see you if you live too much in that self you'll never be happy because that ideal self is unattainable and unrealistic so with social media with Twitter for instance you create this version of yourself that exists online and interacts with other people and you get to curate it perfectly but the problem now is in 2022 we no longer even have control over what our online identity is. Back in the days of early Facebook or Bebo or MySpace, you had a degree of control over what your online identity was. I'm only going to put up these photos of myself. I'm only going to put up that I like these bands I'm going to speak this way. I'm going to be witty all the time in how I respond to people. You construct your online identity. But because of the way that social media today uses algorithms, you lose control of what that identity is. So for instance, let's take Twitter for example. So Twitter, Twitter's not social media. Everyone thinks Twitter is a social media app. It's not. Twitter is, is a... A video game. It's a massively multiplayer online role-playing video game. Similar to World of Warcraft. Except we don't know we're playing a video game. And the Twitter algorithm only rewards competitive behaviour. So everybody on Twitter is fighting with each other all the time. Or competing to see who has the best complaint. Or anytime anything is spoken about on Twitter... And this could be something really important like politics or something to do with gender or race. Important issues that require compassion and nuance. Anytime an opinion is expressed on Twitter, the rules of the game demand that someone else must disagree with it just for the sake of it. Or must find a polarising opinion about it. Because all public interactions on Twitter are a form of performative combat where points are awarded. So now what happens there is it changes your fucking brain. So if you spend too much time on Twitter, as an example, your online self now has to become very hostile just to survive. So you've lost control over what your online identity is. But this still exists in your brain as a part of yourself. And I know because I've seen people on Twitter saying it. People who use Twitter too much, when they're trying to think thoughts in their heads privately, they could be sitting on their couch, not on Twitter. When people who use Twitter too much try to think a thought in their head, they already think about how someone's going to disagree with them in bad faith or quote tweet them as a way to shame them. And the thing is, moral perfection doesn't exist in our private thoughts. Like we often think things that are unacceptable or are problematic or that contain the inherent biases that we learn from society. But it's what you do with those thoughts that matter. It's how you challenge them and how they enact in behaviour that matter. 
But basically there's people who are using Twitter all day and then they're sitting at home on their couch feeling the shame and terror of being publicly cancelled for the thought that exists in their own head because the Twitter algorithm has hijacked their neural pathways. So your brain is changing to abide by the rules of a, a game that's been invented by billionaires who have set it up so that people respond with the most combative, emotionally reactive things all the time. So that's desperately unhealthy. That's a desperately, desperately unhealthy thing and I don't thank the internet for that. And it's not just Twitter. Instagram will fuck your brain up. Facebook will fuck your brain up. And it's hard to use these things in moderation anymore. It's very difficult to use social media in moderation. And I would strongly advise everyone to delete your fucking social media if you don't need it. Like, it's my job. I have to have it. But fuck me. I would not have social media if it wasn't my job. I simply wouldn't. I pine for the days of no social media. I just want to go onto the internet and read articles. That's all I want. And I don't I don't want social media and I never want to read the comments on anything. There's something I miss about the early internet. The bottom half of the internet is a recent enough event invention. It only started becoming a thing around 2008. Before that, you could happily just read an article and that's it. And you didn't have to see a bunch of people fighting or being racist in the comments underneath. So that was this week's podcast. A rambling meditation on the days before the internet. I'll be back next week, hopefully with a hot take. Thank you everybody for joining in. And have a, have a lovely week ahead. I haven't got a Twitch song this week. But I will have one next week. Dog bless you all. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.